This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks. 52 divided by 2 is 26, hence the name 26 Shirts. Here's the best part. For every shirt sold, a donation is made to either a local family in need or a worthy charity. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate over $650,000. Head over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Alrighty, everyone. What's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 164 of the Moranalytics Podcast, presented today by our friends over at 26shirts.com. Go check them out. Great deals going on for a very good cause. Today is Friday, October 25th, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and change that. Do it right now. Also, go on YouTube and check out the Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. Exclusive audio content there you won't find anywhere else, including this podcast and Speaking of this podcast, coming up on today's episode, NFL insider Adam Kaplan is going to join me. This is Adam's third time doing the podcast. One of the most respected NFL insiders in the entire industry. Also, Adam is based in the Philly area. So he knows the Philadelphia Eagles like few others do out there. I thought this would be a fantastic time to get Adam back on. And we're going to discuss the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to get his take on the Buffalo Bills so far this year, and we're going to break down some of the key elements of their matchup coming up on Sunday, which has that look and that feel of a very exciting game, a very big game. And make no mistake about it, this is a big game. The Buffalo Bills, I'll tell you what, they're 5-1, and one, but they haven't really beaten anyone this year. And a win over Philadelphia, that'll raise a lot of eyebrows around the NFL for sure. And conversely, the Eagles, they're at three and four. They're in the NFC East with the Dallas Cowboys. They don't want to fall any farther behind the Cowboys because if they go three and five, they're probably not making a wild card. The NFC stacked this year, so they got to catch Dallas. They can't afford to go to three and five. And they got a tough stretch of games that start right now in Sunday with Buffalo. So they need to win or they could be in big trouble. So a big game, both teams. And Adam and I talk about it, and Adam drops tons of. Buffalo Bills and Philadelphia Eagles knowledge for you. Also, on this podcast later, my guy Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. We're going to continue with some Bills talk, and also we're going to lock in on a little Buffalo Sabres talk as well. 
who have continued to pour on an amazing start to their season. It has the organization and its fans alike very, very excited, as they should be. This has been a lot of fun. Buffalo Sabres hockey right now has been fun, and it hasn't been that way in a couple of years. So, speaking of the Sabres, by the way, we also discussed a tweet that I put out on Wednesday involving the Sabres and the NBA. It was a never going to happen, never going to happen in a million years hypothetical a personal opinion of mine, an unpopular opinion of mine that I said so right at the beginning of the tweet. And let's just say that that did not go over well with Buffalo Sabres Twitter at all. Not at all. The tweet in like barely a span of maybe a little over 24 hours already had over 50,000 views and over 400 replies. And I promise you, most of them were not of the complimentary nature. Not at all. Uh, you know, the majority of them, like I expected, gifts, funny ones, one suggesting I'm an idiot. That's cool. I'd probably do the same thing if you don't like my opinion. Or if I didn't like your opinion, I'd probably do the same thing. Gifts are cool. Saying my tweet is dumb. My take is dumb. I have the worst takes in the history of the world. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's acceptable. That's cool. That comes with the territory. But a handful of these people, man, these trolls out there, they got a little... Too personal with their comments for my liking. And I, I got fired up to use a, a more modern word. I got triggered, man. And I started firing back something that I really don't do much on Twitter. Usually just I ignore it or I kind of grin and bear the trolls. You know, say stupid shit out there. In fact, I've had countless people from sports media world on this podcast. And we've had this very conversation many, many times on here about how they deal with these trolls. And again, I, I can't imagine... I'm not even close in the like the atmosphere of being as popular as a lot of people I've had on this show. I can't imagine how they deal with people like I've had to deal with this past couple of days or so. But again, you know, I usually ignore it, but I couldn't this time. It wasn't the case. I, I went back hard at a few people who just, they crossed the line, man. So as far as I'm concerned, they deserved it. I'll elaborate a little bit more on that with Jeff. I'll read off a couple of tweets that I'm talking about specifically that kind of set me off and how I went back with them, so you're probably going to want to stick around and hear that. A very packed show today, and you know what? I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get right down to business. This is a good Buffalo sports-based podcast, and let's get it started right now. Tons of Buffalo Bills and Sabres talk, and to kick it off, here's my chat with very popular NFL insider, Adam Kaplan. Let's do it. All right, my guest today is a recurring guest to the podcast, one of my favorite people in the NFL media. I'm talking about NFL insider Adam Kaplan. What's going on, Adam? How you doing? Good to be back with my friend. Yeah, we've got, uh, boy, the Bills are a little bit better than I expected, uh, which is always a good thing. Uh, and we're, we're seeing a team in the Eagles with the Bills face this week. That's worse than people expected, not even close to what most people thought. One of the best rosters in the National Football League, devastated by injury. Uh, eight starters from uh, week one uh, did not play last week, so that that's really the, the problem from both sides of football for the Eagles. Before we talk about the Eagles and the Bills game on Sunday, what, if anything, have you heard about the Bills' possible interest in trading for a wide receiver before the trade deadlines? And oh, and Sanders got dealt this week. Not sure what might be out there, what might be available right now. I've heard some stuff about A.J. Green. Does that have any teeth? What have you heard? No, not easy to agree. I have no idea where you're seeing that, but I, I don't see it. The, the, historically, the Bengals simply don't trade. Uh, GMs have told me they're, they're difficult to deal with because they just don't like it, 
Mike Brown, the owner, typically sits on players unless he absolutely has to or it's an ugly situation. Remember Carson Palmer and Corey Dillon got dealt. Um, both players wanted out, and they got out eventually, but um, A.J. Green is coming off of ankle surgery. He's still not ready yet. Now, what they need is they need someone who actually is ready to go and it's not come off surgery. And I do expect them to be aggressive at the trade deadline to get someone, whether it's whether it's Robbie Anderson or unfortunately he's in their own division, so I don't know if that's going to happen. But some receiver who could be available. Emmanuel Sanders was the one I pegged to go to San Francisco. That happened. Um, there'll probably be a couple more guys come free when, when uh, teams lose on Sunday. Some of those teams who who, who basically, uh, Patrick, have to get realistic that they're not going to the playoffs, and some of those players may become available on Monday. Um, in terms of Buffalo, 5-1 right now, but we really haven't seen them play a lot of tough games. Their lone tough opponent was New England, and the Bills hung tough that game. They were in it late and only lost by a score. Philly will or should be a tougher test than most of the teams they've played this year. What's your take on Buffalo this first six games or so, what you've seen from them? Yeah, you know, they're, they're offensively challenged, which is what I thought would be coming in the season. Um, the offensive line's okay. Uh, we knew this was a work in progress because they, they had four changes, so this is going to take time to get it right. Um, but, you know, they were very aggressive at free agency. Their depth was okay there. Uh, just They didn't help the receiver. They're just too light there. Uh, but overall, offensively, uh, getting sedentary back from his hamstring injury, that's pretty big. I think I think offensively they just do enough, but their defense is just not only tough, it's so disciplined. They, they, execute, they execute everything they do so well in defense that this is why they're in every game, because you know their defense is going to come to play, whether it's on the road or at home. Not every defense could say that. They just they seem to, to get the job done no matter where they play, and I think you got to give them credit. Uh, I think overall, the Bills are a little bit better than I expected. I was expecting eight to nine wins this season. Obviously, they have a chance to do well better than that. Maybe ten or eleven wins if uh, if the key players stay healthy. Josh Allen's better. He definitely is. He's not there yet. Still runs too much. That that coaches always tell me when quarterbacks run, that means they're not they're not a lot. We're talking, you know, eight, nine, ten times a game. That means they're they're unless they're designed, they're not going through the progressions. They're still going through one and, and, and running. But Josh has gotten better. Accuracy is a little bit better, still not where it needs to be. But we knew this with that area, the, the accuracy issue was always going to be a challenge for him. In terms of Josh Allen, he's never thrown for 300 yards in a game so far in his young career. But this week appears to see, you know, have a potential tasty matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles secondary that's not playing really well and is banged up. And this could really help out the Buffalo passing game. What's been the issue with the Eagles secondary this year? Well, the players that have gone, other than Avante Maddox, who's their, their slot corner, who won't play this week, he missed significant time due to the uh, injury that he suffered. And Andrew Sandejo, uh, their, their top backup safety, unfortunately ran into him. And uh, he hurt his neck, and he had a concussion, and he's still not cleared yet, so he won't play this week. He had played well before he got hurt, but uh, the, the corner play has been bad. Now, they did get... Jalen Mills is starting the Super Bowl for them. They got him back. He'd been out closer to a year. He, he was back last week. Did okay. Uh, Sidney Jones, their former second-round pick, got benched last week. He didn't play. He was active but never got in the game. Uh, that's a problem. Ronald Darby is coming back from a hamstring injury. He was only available in an emergency situation last week, coming back from a hamstring injury, which cut them out four weeks. He should be in the lineup this week, and, and that'll give them the two guys who are in the Super Bowl for them. Darby, though, by the way, Patrick, has never played to the level uh, that I think the Eagles were expecting. Most of it had to do with the injury, but his problem has never been speed. 
it's about trusting his eyes. Uh, personal people tell me around the league that have graded the Eagles tape that before he got hurt, and in the Atlanta game specifically, where he got torched, he just trusts his eyes sometimes, where when, when, when you don't trust your eyes, it means you travel the play and it makes you look slow, and he's certainly not slow. But, again, he was not playing well before he got hurt, and they need him to play well. Uh, Rasul Douglas is a kid, third year out of West Virginia. He played very well to start the season. Last few weeks has not played well at all. So they, they just don't they don't play well on the outside. There'll be there'll be plays to be made here for John Brown, who obviously still a pretty good defender. He did score last week on a shorter pass, but he's got a, that ability. I would I, I would expect a shot player two to John Brown in this game. So there's a Philly beyond the secondary three and four overall. They've lost two or their first three early on, but then they won in Green Bay in prime time. They slapped the Jets the following week. Things look to be back on track, but then last week got pummeled by Dallas on Sunday night. What do you make of this team right now beyond the injuries? They've given up 75 points in the last three games. Kind of an underwhelming season so far for a team that I think many people thought was going to be right up there in the NFC, which is a loaded conference, of course. Yeah, it's been it's been, um, it's been been kind of shocking at how bad it's been. So the, the pass rush has been poor. That's been another thing. The linebacker play has been almost deplorable for, rest, for most of the way. They have they've had, certainly had injuries there. They just caught – they cut Zach Brown a couple weeks ago, who was probably their best linebacker, and he was not playing well. Uh, Nigel, Bradham, Nigel Bradham has been out with an ankle injury. Uh, he, had not, he did not play well before. So a lot of players underachieving, and then offensively, which we get to in a minute, um, let, Carson Wentz has not played well the last two weeks. He's been very solid before that. I think it's pressing a little bit, and the big thing you'll see in this game, and it'll probably happen, is the ability for the receivers to get downfield without Deshaun Jackson. Okay, now with Carson Wentz, how's he look to you? His worst game last week, probably against Dallas, had three turnovers. But the guy is still an MVP caliber talent, at least anyway. What's the confidence level in Philly with him right now? That's media, fans, and such. Yeah, I, I don't really pay much attention to what media is saying about it. I could just tell you what people I trust say. And in Carson, the last two weeks, uh, Patrick has really struggled with staring down receivers, holding on to the ball too long, um, that's a real problem. And his MVP sort of season before he tore his ACL, the one thing he did really well is he threw with anticipation. That means he gets he gets the ball out while the receiver and ten are in the middle of the route. He's not doing that anymore. He's He's been holding on to the ball too long. He's waiting for everyone to break open. Can't do that. I, I, I get it that they have problems getting downfield, but – that he's just got to release the football and, and throw them open. He's not doing that. Um, one player that was doing fantastically well for, for uh, the Eagles lately is Dallas Goddard, uh, who scored last week. And uh, I know talking to the Cowboys after the game, they were blown away by how Goddard played in that game. They had trouble covering him. He, he did fumble in the first series, but uh, he's going to be a, he'll be a factor in this game. Uh, he, he and Zach Ertz are a really good tandem. The Eagles really want to get this going. Um, I, their offensive line has been very good. Now, Jason Peters probably will not play this week. Uh, he's got a knee injury. Andre Diller, their first-round pick, did okay last week. Not great, but he did. He improved from his first game. We came off the bench. Yeah, overall, I think Wentz, is, he's got to play better. Uh, the run game, which I didn't mention, but I'll mention quickly. Jordan Howard's done a nice job um, coming back uh, from the trade from the Bears. Very, very solid. He, he's their lead back. They tried with Miles My, Sanders in week two. Uh, probably a little bit too early. He was their lead back because he had a great preseason in training camp, and he, he dropped the ball, so to speak. So when you see him in the game, uh, Cowboys source told me this. He goes, every time we see 
Ertz and Sanders together. He said it's almost certain they're going to throw the football. So when Sanders is in the game, he probably will be throwing the, throwing the ball downfield because he's been probably the best deep threat in the NFL running back so far. Buffalo is a one-and-a-half-point favorite, even though they're 5-1. and one. Philly's only 3-4. and four. What are a couple areas where you look at this matchup on Sunday where you think Philly might have a firm edge? You did hit on the tight ends, which was a great point because the Bills have struggled a little bit to cover tight ends, even last week against Miami, and that especially holds true if Mabilano can't go again, who was limited in practice Wednesday with the groin. Yeah, I, I think for the Eagles to win, number one, they can't get behind. Um, they've been in hot, behind in almost every game in the first quarter. Um, they, 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 this has been other than the in fact they were every game but the Jets game where they blew out the Jets at home. They've been behind in the first quarter in every game. They've been they, they've been outscored like crazy in the first quarter, and this has got to stop for them to have a chance. And you you know the Bills are so tough at home now because that crowd is so loud. That's a, what's one of the better home fields in the league. And the Eagles need to take the crowd out of it. Um, if they get behind, it's going to be a problem because they just don't – they get very predictable. The, the only thing they're doing now lately that's different is they're committed to the run more. They were way more committed to the run last week than they had been. And unfortunately, though, they still got blown out, and they only scored 10 points. They were down 14-0, uh, cut it to 14-7. But turnovers, as you mentioned, bad penalties, lack of discipline on defense – now, I would tell you, though, the, the reason why I think the Eagles will be in this game and probably win is because the Bills are offensively challenged. And, yes, I know the Eagles' defense has been poor, but the, they, just, they, they just lack enough help at wide receiver. And, obviously, when you don't trade for a player by Tuesday, that, then you're going to go with a roster that you have almost certainly entering the game. And they've got, the Bills are going to have to figure out a way to get John Brown open, as I said earlier, to, to open the show here if they can. They're going to have a chance to have a couple shot plays because the last two weeks, the Eagles are giving up so many deep plays, play after play after play. But, again, if you got reinforcements like Jalen Mills back, though he doesn't run well, he's very physical, and Ronald Darby, who could run, that certainly could help them. This starts a killer stretch for Philly. Coming Again, they come in three and four. They got Buffalo, then Chicago, a bye. Then they're playing the Patriots and Seattle in those two weeks that follow. This might not be quite, like, must-win for them on Sunday, but it feels like they're at least flirting with this being a must-win game, especially, again, the NFC is much better than the AFC right now this year. Do you kind of feel like this is almost a must-win game for Buffalo, or for Philly, I should say, considering what's coming up on the schedule after this, too? Yeah, they do play, they do play a slumping Chicago Bears, but you're right. The, 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 this game, they've got their home for three against Chicago. New England and Seattle, so that that's a killer schedule. Then their schedule gets really, really eases up against a bunch of bad teams. Yeah, they play all the teams that the Bills have beat so far this year. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So, I, it's, look, it's going to be challenging. This should be a low-scoring game. Right now, the long-range forecast looks like it's going to rain on Sunday. We know that could change, but that um, that probably helps the Eagles because the Bills' team speed is really good. In fact, one thing I like to see, and teams have gotten the Eagles a little bit on this, it's a screen game with Devin Singletary now that he's healthy because he's way faster than Gore. Gore, obviously, he may be their lead back, but he doesn't have the juice that Singletary does. Now that he's not listed on the injury report, I'd like to see them use the screen game a little bit because Eagles, the Eagles linebacker core is poor. They're they're probably one of the worst groups in the league. Until they prove until they could prove they can stop a fast running back, I, I want to see what um, Dayball has dialed up here. That that's one area where I think they can get the job done. Last question, Adam. Then I'll let you go. If Buffalo were to defeat Philly on Sunday, and again the record isn't so great for Philly. 
only at three and four, but everybody knows that they're still a very talented team. They're a good football team. If Buffalo were to win that, what do you think that does for them in the eyes of the national media or on a national level? Again, Buffalo's five and one, but they beat Miami, they beat the Jets, they beat the Giants, they beat the Bengals. They haven't really, they haven't beat anybody yet of note. If they're to win this game, NFL guys like yourself, colleagues of yours, people around the league that you know, national media. What do you think this will do for Buffalo in their eyes? You think there's some yeah, moves I in really only talk to people. Yeah, I only Patrick talk to people in the league. That's to me, that's all that really matters. So just talking to people in the league and, and how the Eagles are, are viewed, they're viewed as a really good football team, a good organization that has dealt with a lot of injuries. But maybe they, they maybe their their views on certain players, maybe they were off it a little bit, and maybe their depth in certain areas was not good enough. I think that's really, I think, uh, as one team told me when they looked over the roster, their, their lack of help at linebacker really is an issue. And, by the way, this is where if, if the Bills come and running, which I'm sure they will, will do to help Josh Allen, the, the Eagles won from having the NFL's best run defense. Well, they got gashed last week against Dallas because they cut Zach Brown, who's their biggest linebacker physically. They didn't have Najee Bradham, and they – they, they are down to, they, by the way, they're down three defensive tackles. Wait to see what they have playing against the Bills on Sunday. So that, that, it, people in the league know this. I would expect the Bills to come out running, and they should have some success. All right, good stuff. Everyone follow Adam on Twitter, Kaplan NFL. Listen to him all over. He's all over the place. Thanks as always, Adam. Good to, good to have you on. You got it, man. Thank you. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless, and with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data, coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico, plus text and data in over 210 countries worldwide, all with the best phones or bring your own. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com. All right, I'm back. I got with me Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. Recurring guest on the show. What's going on, Jeff? How you doing, buddy? Oh, not too much bad. Another another week almost gone behind me here. Happy to be on talking about some Buffalo sports, talking about some Buffalo-related things you had go on here with yourself over the last couple of days. You've been a little bit of the internet darling here in Buffalo <laughs> the last couple of days. I don't know if I would call myself an internet darling. or definitely got a lot more attention than I had ever bargained for. We'll talk some bills and savers, of course, in just a few minutes. But let's just, I'm you know what, I'm going to address that elephant right off the bat. People who follow me on Twitter, or even actually people who don't follow me on Twitter because I got so many mentions from people that don't follow me that, Ned never even heard of me. It's insane. But if you're listening to this, you might know what I'm talking about. If not, I'm going to kind of give you the Cliff Notes version of it. On Wednesday, I had put out a tweet, okay? And I literally said it was an unpopular opinion right at the top. In fact, I'll read the tweet right now. I said, unpopular opinion, it may get me banned from Buffalo forever. The Sabres could go 81-1 and this year, and I'd still trade them without a second thought for an NBA franchise. That was my tweet, okay? A couple things before I get into any responses. And by the way, it was also complete with the Homer Gibson kind of hiding in the bushes gift, meaning I expected 
people to not like that tweet again. I said it was unpopular, and I put a Homer Simpson Heine gift in. It's not like I'm naive and like, oh, my God, people don't agree with me. I knew that. I'm an NBA junkie, okay, Jeff? I'm a basketball fan. I've been an NBA fan my whole life. I lived on basketball growing up, and I'm still a very big basketball fan. It's just my own personal opinion. I like the Sabres plenty. I love the Sabres. I don't care so much about the rest of the NHL. If the Sabres aren't playing, I'm not watching a game. If it's on TV and it's not the Sabres, I'm not watching it. If it's the NBA, I'm watching a game nine times out of ten, no matter who's playing. It's just how I am. Now, I know I'm in the minority, and I again, I've spent most of my life in Buffalo. Don't you know? I know it's a hockey town. We're in a football town, but it's a hockey town. And I know it's not an NBA town. I knew that opinion, my, my tweet was not going to go over well, but, dude, <laughs> I mean, you saw it with your own eyes. You're, you've been on Twitter the last couple of days. People exploded at me over it. Can you believe it? This is one of those things that gets traction a little bit, a little bit, because you, you know, you're connected with a lot of us up here, who those of us in the podcast, and people in local Buffalo media, and then people start picking up on it and you know, send you office gifts and things like that, and their disagreement, and all it takes is just you know, one person fires back, another person fires back, people who don't know you very well, but they just saw your tweet in the feed, they fire back. And it just turns into you get a mess of it. You get people from all sides just throwing things in. Just be, and you have forbid. You know, usually, someone says, "Oh, I have a controversial opinion." That doesn't mean they actually have a controversial opinion at, or an unpopular opinion. It just means they want to you know get people to be like, "Oh yeah, man, I agree with you totally." You know, I, I see things the same way. Like people don't take well to people on the internet disagreeing with them. And when you can hide behind your keyboard and hide behind personas and pictures, everyone just will tell you exactly what's on their mind. If they don't care about being nice or pleasant about it, one iota. Well, I'll tell you what, man. We're taping this segment right now, a little past dinner time on Thursday night around 7 o'clock or so. So it's been about, I don't know, a, a little le- it's been less than a day and a half. I've had... 57,000 impressions on this tweet, okay, and 385 replies, which, by the way, is my most replied to tweet that I've ever had, which I'm not very proud. You know, I would think it would be for a great podcast story or, you know, something like that, but it's it's freaking uh, my unpopular opinion here. And anyway, I like, again, I put that gif in. I liked and I expected some pushback. I'm not dumb. I know what Buffalo is. I expected the gifts. I expected people, you know, calling me, calling my take stupid, saying they disagree, saying I'm an idiot. That's the worst take ever. You know, just saying I'm dumb, whatever. That comes with the territory. When you put out a tweet, and especially if you're somebody, you know, who has at least a little bit of a following. I have a following, so I expect something when I put it out there. But that's fine. It's when people get out of hand on Twitter and they get really personal and they they find, you know, I, I got triggered to use the word that people use nowadays. I got triggered because I just, I couldn't take any more of these personal insults about people who don't know anything about me and really making it personal. And that was really, it was starting to bother me, which is kind of hypocritical of myself because on this podcast, and you've heard a lot of the interviews, I've had so many people on in the Buffalo sports media or the national sports media for that matter, where a portion of the conversation always turns towards social media. And I ask these people all the time, well, how do you deal with these trolls? You know, we talk about ignoring them, just letting it, you know, turning the other cheek or some people like, Tim Graham, he, he, he banners with them. He kind of pisses them off by being equally cocky. You know what I'm saying? There's just different ways to handle right. it. And all the things that I, I told them that I would do, I kind of went against, and I kind of exploded and started going back at people. I started swearing in a couple of my tweets, which I usually don't really tend to do much anyway. But, again, when you have people telling you, 
and they don't even know what they're talking about. Get the fuck out of Buffalo. I don't I don't live in Buffalo, know what you're talking about, or people acting like I'm a big time Floridian now and I hate Buffalo and I'm just hating on Buffalo. Get the Sabres out of there. I'm a Florida guy and I hate Buffalo. Which anyone who ever listens to this show or reads my Twitter or is on my Facebook page or anything like that, you would know. I love Buffalo and I hate Florida and you know I hate Florida. <laughs> is that anyone who tells you that you love Florida clearly didn't listen to like the 20 to 25 minutes that we cut out of an episode last week that you just went on ranting and raving about how much you disliked Tampa Bay sports fans. You thought, you know, maybe that was a little bit too much. Yeah. Clearly the people who, who would say that about you don't really know what, you know, what goes on behind, uh, Outside of the context of the podcast, yeah, I mean, listen, and then, and of course, it's, it's easier to tell Tim to, to tell Tim Graham or like, oh, you know, this is what I would do if I was you. But it's it's a lot. It is a lot different when it's when you're in that position when it's when you have to respond to those people yourself. I completely get it. Yeah, and I'm not Tim Graham. I'm not like Joe B. I get it. I'm not a, a big time a real sports media guy. Which, by the way, I never said I was. I host a podcast and I have lots of sports opinions. That's what I do. People have never heard of this podcast. That's fine. I get it. But I, I mean. Know what you're talking about before you go on personal rants about me. That was what really pissed me off, man. And I, I tell you, I am going to say it, okay? I am a big train wreck sports guy, okay? I've been a fan of theirs. I've been on their show several times. I've done chicken wing stuff with them. Maniac's been on my podcast a couple times. So I want to make this very, very clear before I proceed any further. I am a train wreck sports guy as a whole. I like what they do. I think they're fun. I think they're harmless. I think they're just having a good time, and I don't think they're hurting anybody. I like them. But this is what set me off the most. This Trishan dude, a.k.a. the funnel guy from Trainwreck, he's the one who got me all triggered. And I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but whether he did or not, he's an asshole. I'm just going to throw that out there right on the air right now. Again, I don't attack other people, especially on this podcast. I don't, in fact, I don't, I'm not sure that I ever have. That dude's just an asshole. He really is. I mean, he said, and this is what kind of what I'm talking about, when I um when I really hit home that you don't need to be personal just because you don't like my opinion because I personally like the NBA better than the NHL. He says, wing nuts is garbage. He's talking about the wing placing camera, which he's completely wrong about, by the way. And then you just sit in your shanty in Florida. What is a shanty? It's just like a, like a small, like, run-down, like, seaside type of home. Well, you got to be kidding me, man. I live in a beautiful complex in Lakewood Ranch. So, wrong again, idiot. Um, given terrible sports takes. All right, well, you know what? Maybe I do have sport, terrible sports takes. I don't know. And then here, this is shitting on the Buffalo media because you can never actually hack it. When do I shit on the Buffalo sports media for starters? you got to be kidding me. I've had almost every single person from the Buffalo sports media on this podcast at some point. Name it. Buffalo News, WGR, any of the TV stations, The Athletic, and blogs, your podcast. I am a huge supporter of the Buffalo sports media. What are you talking about, you jerk? You know what I'm saying? I can never actually hack it. It just pissed me off, man, because, first of all, again, in regards to my tweet, I I love the Sabres. I just love the NBA more. How is that so hard to comprehend? Why can't someone comprehend that I just personally like basketball more than I like the NHL? I don't get it. The people in Buffalo attach to very Buffalo things. The Sabres are a very Buffalo thing. They're playing well, and... Somewhere in there, apparently, it touched the nerve, and I, I think now you know, we're about 36 hours roughly removed from when you sent that tweet out. When we're recording here, it'll be about two full days by the time the episode gets posted. Looking back now for yourself, do you would you have done anything differently? Do you regret sending that tweet out? Do you regret anything about how you responded to it? 
I regret how I responded to anyone else because I was actually having fun. People were dissing me, and I was actually kind of having fun with it. You know, somebody had said some shit about not following me or, or you know, this and that. I said, so you're not – are you trying to say you're not going to end up subscribing to my feature award-winning podcast? I was having a little bit of fun with that. For the most part, I regret some reactions except, again, for the funnel guy. I mean, he's disrespecting me. In terms of saying not about my sports takes, I don't. I can have the worst sports takes in the world, but saying lies that I sit on the Buffalo sports media or that I have no clue. Trust me, dude, I do. I, I'm gonna say it. I'm not being cocky, right? But I've had plenty of good contributions to the Buffalo sports media since launching this podcast. And this guy's coming at me. I mean, his contribution to podcasting or to social media or websites or whatever is fucking chugging bears after saber goals. Okay, and he doesn't even do a good job of it, by the way. Half the shit spills out, and half of it's got foam, and he's spilling half of it all over certain shit. And they got that, you know, like, UB naked guy who's kind of silly, but at least that dude's funny and entertaining, man. This, this dude's just corny as hell. So I don't regret going after him, but I do regret kind of getting as triggered as I did with other people. I should have just let shit slide. This is what you got to do. I should have muted the entire conversation, and then I would have even seen the mentions. And if you don't see him, you're not going to respond to him. So, yeah, I do regret sending the tweet only because I don't regret. I still stand by what I say. I just love the NBA more than I love the Buffalo Sabres and hockey, just hockey in general. It's not even so much the Sabres, but it's just my personal opinion. But I do regret it only because I know I've been around Twitter for a decade now. I've done a lot of sports media stuff. This podcast for quite a while now. I know how Twitter works. You know what I mean? I know what people are going to do. They're going to take your words. They're going to twist it. They're going to get nasty. The trolls are going to come out, and they're going to get personal. So I regret it not because of the message that it had, but I regret doing it because I did know ahead of time what this was probably going to lead to. You know what I mean? But you got some good interaction, everyone. And all of us, you had a bunch of people you've, who've, you've never talked to and all that banging down your mentions. So hopefully at least some of them stayed for the discussion and you know maybe got a laugh, maybe took a shot at you. But at the end of the day, hopefully some good, harmless internet fun. Yeah, I mean, a part of it was fun. Like I said, the majority of people I was having fun. It's not like every single person was being an asshole. I'm talking, you know, maybe 5 to 10% at most out of, like, I don't know, what like 400 people. Or so they responded. But anyway, yeah, man, I got to get off this whole funnel guy shit. That kid just pissed me off. I mean, there's no other way around. And I like train wreck, just don't like that, too. But anyway, let's move past that shit. People ain't trying to listen to this podcast for uh, my Twitter beast. Let's talk some bills for a few minutes here. Now, I did talk previously to Adam on the podcast. But there were a couple things that we really didn't get to. So I want to get them. I want to hit them with you. Tight end position for the Philadelphia Eagles is a big-time strength. Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Even though Zach Ertz hasn't been quite as good as he was last year, he's still a very dangerous guy out there. I feel like if there's a matchup nightmare for Buffalo going into this game right now, it's their linebackers or safeties or, you know, extra reserve corners against these tight ends. And that especially holds true if Matt Milano can't go on Sunday. He was limited at practice again on Thursday. He did have or the non-contact jerseys gone, so he was in his white. So that's good. But we still don't know his status if he's going to play or not. I mean, even if he is there, it could be an issue. But if he's not there, it could be a big issue. I don't. I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. But that tight end from Miami last week, he had some success, man. Mo Alexander, Lorenzo Alexander, any Alexander is going to struggle trying to cover these guys. Yeah, I think he had a pretty good game there for my for Miami on Sunday. And Ertz is one of the best in the business in, in that regard. Scott, not as much of a worry, but he's, he's a capable young tight end. Yeah. Um, 
for for Ertz, it's just gonna you're really just gonna have to kind of contain him. He's one of those guys. He's gonna get his touches. He might get his five to five to eight catches. And what you just try to do is you try to contain him. You try to limit the yardage he's able to get. You try to limit how far downfield he can get. I think this. I'm not worried about the safety level necessary uh, as necessarily. They give him a little bit of size. Uh, Ertz is a pretty big guy compared to Hyde and Boyer, but I don't think you have to worry about anyone out jumping Micah Hyde after you watch what he did on that onside kick return touchdown last week, getting up and pulling a 180, catching the ball, and landing as effortlessly as he did. Um, but yeah, if Milano is not able to go, which I think luckily at this point while we're recording, things are really trending towards him being available. We'll see if he's able to be 100%. We'll see if he's available to play a full slate of snaps. But it's going to be a challenge, and we'll see if, if it's Milano, if it's Edmonds, if someone can kind of step up and, and take away that intermediate passing game from Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz a little bit because he's the kind of guy you give him space and time to work. He's, he's a casual six catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown before you look up. I'll tell you, man, you know the saying, sometimes you don't know what you got until it's gone last Sunday. I kind of felt like that with Matt Milano. Now, I think the defense as a whole was just kind of flat coming off the bye and playing a team that I thought they were just going to, show up and, you know, have success, and it doesn't work that way in the NFL, even against a lousy team like Miami. But not having Matt Milano out there, I kind of feel like you you physically saw a pretty significant difference between Matt Milano and whether it was Mo Alexander or whoever the hell else was out there in his place. I mean, it just Lorenzo Alexander, I know, took a lot of two linebackers um, set snaps that he normally wouldn't take. It was a very noticeable difference for me. I don't know about you, but for me it was big time. Yeah, you, I think there was one of those cases where you don't always realize how much he's doing away from the ball because people are not targeting him as much uh, because he's been playing so well, having such a great season, that when he's gone, all of a sudden everything's going to where he used to be. You're like, wait, I'm not used to this being a weak part of the defense. It's because the previous games, Matt Milano has been there. There's been nothing open. He's been shutting down everyone who comes across him. And it, it was such a stark difference. And I guess the good part of it, if, if there was a silver lining to the performance of the defense on Sunday when you thought they should probably beat Miami by more than 10 points, including a late, late special teams touchdown, is that that was the right team to have that defensive lapse against. Because even with all the issues, they still held them 21 points. Yeah, I agree. If they have that kind of performance again against Philadelphia or a team of better offensive ability, that is that has the potential to be a really rough game. So not really, hopefully it's a wake-up call. Hopefully this isn't a sign of things to come. Hopefully, like you mentioned, it's just some rust off the bye week and they can come back out this week and go back to what it was the first five weeks where teams were lucky to get across midfield against them sometimes. But certainly having Milano out of the lineup was maybe even more significant of a difference than people would have thought it was. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about how good the defense is, and they're every bit as good as advertised, but I mean, we just talked about their struggles to cover the tight end last week and our worries about that coming into this game. There's something else, too, to be honest with you, that I am concerned about, and that's the pass rush. I, as good as this defense has been this year, minus that Tennessee game, the front four has not been very good at getting stats or even generating that much pressure on the quarterback. You know, you look back to that New England game where Tom Brady had a miserable outing. He didn't get that much pressure, man. It wasn't like he was throwing the ball away a lot. That was just really good defense. The secondary had one of their... Best games I've seen from Bills secondary have in, in a long, long time. But I feel like this pass rush needs to improve. Right now, they're only 22nd in the NFL with 13 sacks coming into this game. And again, five of those came against Tennessee. And after Tom Brady, who, you know, he's getting up there now. Carson Wentz is the quarterback. And I feel like this ain't the dude to 
to not get pressure on and drop him a couple times because he might not be quite at that MVP level that he was playing at in 2017, but he's still a good quarterback, and he's a very dangerous quarterback. And if you just let him sit back there, like I think Ryan Fitzpatrick had way too many dropbacks last week. We had a lot of time to throw the football. You do that with Carson Wentz, the results are going to, I think, going to be significantly worse. Hey, I think the talk about Carson Wentz as one of the top quarterbacks in the league died down when he got hurt and saw what Nick Foles did. And Wentz has certainly had his share of injury issues here over the last couple of years of his career. But I think you hit it right on the head there, Pat. It's just, he is very capable. He's able to make throws at all levels. He makes a lot of throws that don't end up on highlight reels because he's playing with a core of receivers who really love dropping the football, and he's playing with a core of receivers also that has been really, really banged up this season. But certainly getting pressure on him would, would be a big difference. And you wonder, you wonder if Jason Peters, who missed the game last week, uh, will be available here for them. That's obviously a big loss if he's not able to go because he's one of the best offensive linemen, one of the best tackles in the NFL at this point. That could help if he's not able to go. But I, I think it's one of those things they're – they're not going to be one of the top 10 teams in the league in sacks, but I do think they're going to get more here in the second half. I think Ed Oliver has made a lot of good plays that have just been you know, one little thing away from being a sack, and I think that Hughes is due a couple. I think that Phillips has played well. Um, hopefully this Sunday's game is a chance for them to start building towards that because, as you mentioned, if you just let Carson Wentz sit back there, and I don't care who he's got to receive, I don't care how many balls Aguilar drops, you let him sit back there and pick your defense apart, it's going to be a tough day for the secondary no matter how well they're playing. We talked about a couple things in terms of the Buffalo defense having concerns. Looking on the other side, conversely, I feel like the Buffalo Bills, to have success, it's going to be mainly through the air. That Philly secondary is injured, and I mean, they're, and they're not so good when they're healthy either. Again, I just talked to Adam earlier in the show, and he had some very unflattering things to say about Ronald Darby's game. Of course, Ronald Darby, formerly the Buffalo Bills. You know, we always talk about Josh Allen in this, 300-yard threshold that he hasn't hit yet, which personally I think is mostly kind of an overrated stat and an overrated conversation because I feel like when the Bills are playing well that this offense, it really isn't designed for him to hit for 300 yards unless, of course, he could start hitting on a couple of these deep balls, which he's been absolutely terrible at this year. But anyway, you, you get my point. Keep possession, mix up the run in the past. I think that's the goal. That's the mindset that they come into the games with. It's not for Josh Allen to be slinging a ball all over the place. But anyway... This might be that game, though, man. I I think, like, this is where he needs to go out and get it. I feel like this Sunday could finally be the quote-unquote Josh Allen game. I, I, I think Philly is pretty good against the run. They do a good job of shutting down running backs. Adam pointed that out. Uh, he had some details with that. I think Josh Allen's arm is going to be the key to this game. I think that deep passing game could be the key to this game. I watched a lot of the uh, the Minnesota-Philadelphia game from a couple weeks ago while the Bills were enjoying their bye week. In that game, that game fixed Kirk Cousins. It felt like all Kirk Cousins had to do was take a three-step drop, chuck a ball in the air, and let someone run underneath him. There was no one in the Philadelphia secondary within 15 yards of Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen that whole game. Yeah. I think Josh Allen was able to convert on a couple of long passing plays, and that has been a struggle. It does feel like there's a player to every game where he's got a receiver, whether it's Foster or Brown or whoever it is who gets in there, gets free, and he just is not able to make those plays. But there's there's going to be chances for him to do that this week. Trying to run the ball and bang Frank Gore into Fletcher Cox in that front seven, is it doesn't feel like that's the answer. The answer has to come on the outside. And there's going to be chances. The question then becomes, is he able to take those chances, make something happen? Because the Eagles secondary has been maybe the worst in 
well up there with the, the Dolphins, the Redskins, the teams that are really at the bottom, bottom of the league in terms of how ineffective they have been against the pass. All right, let's have a prediction for the game. Then we'll wrap up with some Sabres talk. But when it's all said and done, this is game's over. It's, I don't know, what, 4.05, 4.15 p.m., something like that. How do you see this game going? Uh, so you had your unpopular opinion already. We we open with that. Let's Let's finish this part of the show with my unpopular opinion. The Bills are a five-win team out of there, a five-and-one team that has played maybe two real good complete games. I see this game being a letdown. I have Philadelphia 27-20. to 20. Ooh. You know what? I got this brand-new soundboard. You're lucky that I don't know where the boot key is yet. I don't want to hit. I might be hitting crickets or some other shit like that, so I, I can't hit the button that I want to. I, I You make sense, and you very well could be right. I don't agree. I do think, and I'm, again – the unpopular opinion guy who hates on Buffalo so much and shits on them, I think that they're going to live up to expectations. I think this is going to be the game that they go out and they win where the people who did not take the Bills serious around national media and you know just around the league in general because the Bills, quote-unquote, haven't beaten anybody yet, I think that changes, and I do think that this is going to be the Josh Allen game. So I'm, I got Buffalo 30, Philly 20. Ten-point win for the Bills, man. What do you think? You don't think so. Yeah, let's feel good. I feel pretty good if that happens. And, and don't get me wrong. I hope that when the next time we record, you make you get to make fun of me for my take being wrong. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for but, sure. but a 30-20 thir- to 20 win, if they get that and they look good, that feels like a really good win, too, and that could go a long way towards cementing themselves, too, as a – they're already a playoff contender at this point, but, you know, 6-1, win over Philadelphia, go to three get, – get your second win against the NFC, that feels pretty good. It does. And speaking of – Feeling pretty good. Yo, that was a pretty good segue. Dude, I'm getting pretty good at the segues here now on this podcast at this point. Anyway, Sabres, okay? We're taping this again. On Thursday, actually, we're taping this minutes before the Sabres take the ice against the Rangers, so we have no clue how that's going to turn out. But regardless, it's been an incredibly um, promising start for the Sabres. The last, last few times we've hooked up, I've sort of been waiting to have that, like, rug-swept-out-from-us conversation when it comes to the Sabres, but it's just not happening, man. It's not happening. This is a this team's looking really good and really hungry to be good. They really look enthusiastic, to me anyway, out there, which I think that matters, man, and I think it's something that we didn't see a lot of when Phil Housley was the coach. It's not just the W's right now. It's the way that they're going about doing it. All the lines are going and it's like a different, well, I mean, yeah, obviously Jack Eichel had a huge game the other night, but aside from that, I mean, all these lines are going and doing their job, and it just feels like they're playing enthusiastic hockey, and it feels like, for me, it's been a long time since I've seen that with Buffalo. I feel like this team already this year in their first 10 games, like Pat mentioned, we're recording before the Rangers game, so as of this discussion, they're 8-1-1, one, one, 17 points in 20 games. I feel like this team has already played more complete 60-minute games this season than they did all of last season. There has been more games where they went out. Even the San Jose game, I think the San Jose game this past Monday, the one they ended up coming back and winning in overtime is the perfect example. First period, they're playing well, but they're losing. But instead of doing what they would have done last year, which is not play a good second period and just get run out of their own building, instead they come back in the second period, continue to play that well, continue to play well in the third period, blow a lead, but then continue to play well and win that game in overtime. This is a team that has been working very hard, and it's largely with the same group of people, plus Johansson, who has been excellent, and plus Jimmy Vesey, who I've ragged on a little bit, but he's had a really good week, week and a half here now. This is a great team, and if all the, if all the differences, Ralph Kruger credits to him because this team is 
excited. They look like they're having fun. They're playing with a lot of energy. They are difficult to play against. Everyone has fit into a nice role here. And it is, well, it is unreasonable to think they're going to continue to play this well. Because if they got 17 out of every 20 points, we'd be talking about a historically great hockey team at this point. I don't think they are historically great. So I think we're due for a little bit of a, I wouldn't call it a letdown, but maybe a little bit more of a downturn. We're going to even out here where you hope there's still a winning team and still a playoff team, but they're not going to get 17 out of every 20. But I think you will not become for this team. Can they continue to play well when everything isn't going their way? And I think that's the only thing that remains to be seen. Are you a little bit surprised by Kruger's method of playing both goalies plenty early on? I mean, Carter Hutton already has two shutouts, and both times he got a shutout the next game, he found himself on the bench for Linus Olmark. Does that surprise you a little bit that he's not that he's not staying with the hot hand early on and he wants to make sure these guys get plenty of work and maybe plenty of rest as well? I don't know if it surprises me. Um, it is unconventional, at least in the sense of what we're used to. I think last year and even the, the last few, I wouldn't even just say, just say Housley, the last few coaching regimes and maybe largely in the NHL, the the way that you do it is you ride the hot hand. Essentially, if Carter Hutton has a shutout and you don't have back-to-back games, which they didn't in either of the cases, then Hutton will play the next game. I really do think it looks like at this point that they have a plan, they have a schedule, at least at this point of the season, because going into the, the European trip where they play Tampa in Sweden, they have a compacted schedule coming up here, they have a little bit more time off before and after that trip, and then a compacted schedule back again. It looks like they really have designed something where they are not wearing Hutton or Olmark down and really intend to get both of them involved. Um, I think that last year Hutton came out and was very good to start the season. I think as the season went on, he was used more than maybe he had been used before, and we saw his play begin to decline. I do think that using Olmark this much is intentional, and the design of it is that as the season goes on, Hutton continues to get as much rest as he can. Plus, now with Allmark, he's getting more time as well, so he's not just sitting there watching Hutton and not progressing as a pro. And the result is both of them have played pretty well. Hutton's been stellar. Allmark's just been pretty good. But they've both been good in goal. I want to end with one more Sabres topic here. Give me your thoughts on what you think might happen when Brandon Montour is back soon. Who's going to be the odd man out? Is it going to be a trade? Is it going to be Gilmore gets, is he's gone and they stay with seven and maybe... I don't know, they ride the hot hand or the cold hand, I should say, goes in the press box or they have maybe some kind of silly rotation with four or five of those guys, something like that. It's in a very interesting situation to me, potentially one that could go one, both ways. I mean, it could become volatile, too. A guy's playing good. Who are you going to take out? So what do you think is going to happen when this happens? Now, of course, if somebody goes down with an injury between now and the time Montour comes back, it'll be a moot point. But if that doesn't happen, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, this is now the topic du jour, and it's the good kind of problem to have. It's a problem that the Sabres team hasn't had in a while, Okay, which is, oh, now you have too many good players you want to put in your lineup. What do you do? It's been a long time since the Sabres had to look at potentially moving or sitting a guy who was actually playing well and earning a roster spot. It's been since the playoff years probably since they had to make a tough decision like that, really. There isn't an easy answer because I do not think the rest of the line is a guy who moves um, – I think that that chip has long sailed. He's played pretty well, maybe not the best of the defense. I think if you asked everyone before the season, the easy answer would have been Marco Scandella. Uh, but Marco Scandella has been absolutely phenomenal so far this season. Now, whether or not that is you know, just a 10-game sample size and he's really you know, just going to go back to where he was last year, that remains to be seen. But he has been 
going back to where he was before he came to Buffalo. When he was with Minnesota, he was a top two or top four defenseman and very sound. And all of a sudden playing in Kruger's system, he's out there. Just It, it seems like he's seeing everything well and just playing super well. So I don't want it to be him. I There isn't a good answer. Yoki Haru has been great. He would have been the easy one to send down to the AHL if he was not quite NHL ready yet, but he looks like he is. Yeah. The guy who sticks out to me, and I don't think it's really because he hasn't done something or because he doesn't deserve it, the guy who's out for me might be Jake McCabe. Wow. All right, give Jeff a follow on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. By the way, I want to say this too, man. I think you guys at the 716 Sports Podcast have a really good show. I really mean that. It's not a it's not a big box office smash. Not everybody knows about it, but I, I feel like it's like a, a critical hit, man. Really good conversation. You guys cover a lot more than just Buffalo sports things beyond the Bills and the Sabres. You guys hit on other teams that pretty much no one else talks about, even when it is just Bills and Sabres. You guys cover them really well. It's, it's a really good podcast, and I wish more people out there will start listening to it. Give it a shot because I'm sure you'll like it, man. I'm a big fan, dude. Well, thank you, Pat. We, we, we do really appreciate that. And, you know, if anyone anyone's listening wants to drop by, you know, even, even just shoot us up on Twitter and talk about sports. We love interacting with everyone about everything, but yeah, we'll do Sabres, Bills, Bandits. We are, a lot of us are Bandits season ticket holders. We do the Buffalo Beats Women's Professional Team. Uh, we got some other cool things coming up that we'll be announcing soon in terms of getting involved with Buffalo College Sports, so you know, we try to try to give everyone their moment in the sun. Hi, I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast the podcast about broadcast. Every week since 2016, we've been bringing on broadcast leaders to talk about their experiences in radio, what they've seen, and where they believe it is all going. If you live and love radio, subscribe to the Sound Off Podcast with Matt Kundal wherever you get your podcasts. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Big, very big thank you, NFL insider Adam Kaplan. Well, it's my man, Jeff Boyd, from the 716 Sports Podcast. Coming up on the shows next week, next Tuesday, I'm going to have Spectrum Sports in Buffalo. Sports reporter John Scott is going to be my guest first time on the podcast. And then next Friday, I'm going to have both Nick and Nolan from the Nick and Nolan Show, which is a podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. It is an outstanding podcast, one of my favorite. I listen to it every week so we're going to get to know those guys talk a little buffalo bills football with them guys if you haven't done so yet already and i don't know why you haven't but go ahead and subscribe to this podcast please you'll get new episodes before anyone else does when you subscribe new episodes every tuesday and friday you can find us and subscribe on apple google play ir radios pictures spotify pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found also rate and review the show only takes a couple seconds helps me continue it to grow also, make sure you check out the Moran Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. I've been working pretty hard on that. And besides just like highlight clips that I put up from current and past episodes of this podcast, I now have plenty of original audio content, which is exclusive to that channel. You're not going to hear it anywhere else, including this podcast. So go find Moran Analytics Podcast on YouTube. Hit that little red subscribe button down just below the videos, as well as that little bell next to it so you can get notifications when new audio content is released and then last but not least don't forget to follow me on twitter been an eventful week on twitter at pamaran tweets i'm constantly tweeting out 
podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, all kinds of other stuff, including unpopular opinions that apparently set the Buffalo Twitter world on fire this past week, which I talked about earlier in this podcast. So F Amaran tweets, give me a follow there. Thanks again for listening. I say it all the time. I really, truly mean it. I appreciate each and every single one of you that take time out from your day to give this show a listen, no matter where you are, no matter what you're listening on. It means the world to me. I'm very grateful for that. Have a good weekend. Good Bills game on Sunday, I hope, and uh, we'll have plenty to talk about next week. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.